Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 21 of Radiance, my Fallout fan fiction. I do hope you've been enjoying this little stroll through the Fallout universe I've been creating with all its wild and wonderful characters. Obviously, if you can leave me feedback wherever you can, obviously like and subscribe. You can over go to uh, fanfiction.net or archiveofrown.com, actually archiveofrown.org even, and uh, leave some feedback on the actual written versions. Just write podcast in the title of the uh, review. That'll let me know which one you're actually reviewing for. You know, you can actually leave feedback as well at my own website at ghostnobody.com. Just go to the Radiant section. And uh, hit the comment button at the bottom of the actual thing. That'll allow you to be able to leave a comment for it, just like a review, just like you would for any of the others. At that site, you can also read my original story called Storm Rider, which you won't find anywhere else but on my own website. So if you can leave feedback for that, I'd always be well appreciated. Tell me what you're liking, what you're not liking, what you hope to see. And uh, who knows, you might get a nice surprise. So... Let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, and the usual uh, legal disclaimer here. I don't own Fallout. I don't own Bugs. That's all Bethesda. I just own Crazy Dale Death Course. They're all mine, and they're as crazy as ever. Let's get on with it. Chapter 21. Running with Night Stalkers. Sister, are you sure about this? Runs asked, looking at his beloved twin sister with concern in his eyes. His beloved twin sister had always been his source of strength growing up. He was the man, but she, he was supposed to be the always strong and so always supposed to be the one to protect everyone around him. But he'd always felt like it was his sister that was the one doing the protecting. Soars with eagles had always just had such confidence in everything she did that he was utterly infectious. For the millionth time, stop worrying, brother. We'll be fine. The tribe is under attack and we need weapons to help us fight. Otherwise, the white legs are going to wipe us all out. You know this as well as I. You saw what happened to father, or did you forget? Saw said, turning to glare at him with such fire in her eyes that Runs felt himself shrink underneath the intensity of it. How could I? I was the one who found him like that, he said softly, letting his eyes fall to the floor as images of his father's brutalised and mutilated body flashed before his mind's eye from that fateful day. Spears had been driven through his bruised and battered body from a great many directions, forming a kind of scaffolding frame which held him aloft. Runs felt his heart break like he was made of fragile coloured glass when he lifted his father's chin and saw that both his eyes and his tongue had been cut from his body before having his mouth and eyelids sewn shut with heavy leather stitches. A pulse of rage shot through him like an arrow from the darkness. Not only had they beaten and tortured him, while utterly outnumbered and helpless, but they had denied him his peace in the afterlife, by stealing both his voice and his soul, so that it couldn't pass on and find his spirit guide to take him on to the next life. Suddenly a hand on his shoulder snapped him out of the dark corner of his mind, and he flinched away, looking up at Source, and he instantly saw that her expression had softened. "'I'm sorry, brother.' That was not fair. I did not mean to hurt you like that. I'm just angry, he said, and he nodded. As am I, sister, he said softly. I know that, and that's why we have to do something about it. We have to take a stand. We have to defend ourselves. The white legs are getting help from those white men. 
So we need to find help for ourselves, and we need to defend ourselves. We cannot do that without the weapons of the white man, and we can only get them from white men, Saw said confidently. I agree, but how can we be sure to trust these people? They're not like us. They care only about shiny things. They have lost their connection to the spirits, if they ever had it at all, he said, and she nodded. Exactly, and that's what we can use to our advantage, she said, making Run sigh heavily. He really did not like having to interact with white men, as nothing good ever came from dealing with them. Their journey from the home in Zion into the dead city of white men had taken quite a long time, and had made Runs feel rather antsy and worried. He was worried about what was happening to the tribe in their absence. Runs also worried about what they would find in the dead city, as he'd heard all the horror stories from members of the tribe that had been near it, and while they frightened him, he also found a kind of morbid curiosity in the place. The place was like an open tomb. Runs could positively feel the spirits that lingered here. He could practically hear the screams of the dead when their lives ended in a blink of an eye. It was like pure fear and terror were literally burned into the very streets themselves. Never in his life had Runs felt such an oppressive atmosphere in a place. It was like the very place itself was crushing his lungs and trying to suck his very spirit out of him to join the many that lingered. Oddly, the place didn't seem to be affecting his sister in the same way. She was just so utterly curious about the place. She seemed to want to know everything about everything. The curiosity of the world around her so took her to this place like a massive adventure. He watched as she flitted from building to building, looking at everything and anything, like a songbird hopping between the branches of a tree. Where are you supposed to meet these white traders? Runs asked, and Saws reached into the soft, tanned, radstag leather pouch that hung from her hip. It made Runs smile as he saw it, because he had given it to her for her twentieth birthday only two weeks ago, while she had given him a beautiful obsidian knife that she had carved for him by hand. A knife that was still currently hanging on his belt, which his hand subconsciously went to and stroked gently. While from the pouch she pulled a folded piece of paper, which she opened up and looked at. It's a large building that looks like this, Saw said, showing him the picture that had been drawn on it with directions written in the language of white men. But while he couldn't read it, he could, however, speak a little of it. Runs took it and looked around himself until he picked out the building that looked exactly like the drawing on the paper and then pointed to it. There, that's the one, he said, and his sister looked where he was pointing. Ah, that looks good. Good eyes, brother. Let's go, she said, taking the paper back, and the pair set off with Saws pulling her brother along by the hand towards the building in the distance. As they approached the building, Runs began to feel like something was very wrong. He could hear distant voices, but they didn't sound right. Not like white men at all. Much, much deeper. And just off somehow. It didn't take them long to find out why. As they began to approach the building, they began to see light glowing between the buildings, and the voices grew louder. Runs unsheathed his bow from his shoulder and grabbed his sister's hand, placing a finger to his lips before she could open her mouth to ask him what he was doing. She cocked her head curiously at him, and he pointed to his ear, 
then over to the buildings before communicating in the sign language that the tribe used while hunting as to not give away their positions so that they should move silently and observe before they go in. She just looked over towards the glow and then nodded, both crouching down and moving in a silent crouch walk along the wall of the nearest building. Using the deep shadows, the pair managed to make their way around the building by using an alleyway behind it. Creeping through the open back door of the building opposite the one they wanted, using the place as cover to, to their approach. Runs moved silent as a shadow. As an experienced hunter, he knew how to stalk his prey as silently as its own shadow. It was part of the reason he'd earned the name he had. The other part was a pack of feral night stalkers that had taken a liking to him, as he'd saved three of its cubs from a yaogwai by grabbing them and diving into the roots of a tree keeping them safe until the huge bear simply got bored and gave up trying to smash through the roots to get at them, at which point Run simply gave the cubs back to their mother. Ever since that point, the pack would come back to the village and would often leave small gifts of small animals they had killed for him, and more than once Runs had gone hunting with them. They made incredible hunting dogs for flushing out prey. The tribal elders and shamans said this was not surprising, as his spirit animal was a night stalker, and when the day of his in initiation into adulthood he'd taken his vision quest, he'd actually met them, a giant night stalker with the voice of a woman, who told him that his life would be filled with great pain, but if he was able to endure it, he would not only be able to save his tribe from great hardship, but he would go on a great journey that would show him things and teach him things and just enrich his life in ways he'd never imagined possible. Moving silently through the place that looked once like it sold clothing of some kind, well, by the fake people stood around in a variety of poses displaying items that were bare rag, desiccated clothing, the pair got up to being what once had been a window for viewing the street outside, but now was just a frame. The pair peered through the frame into the street beyond, and what they saw made their hearts freeze like ice in their chests. Across the street, where the building they were meant to be, meeting the white-skinned traders, there were a bunch of huge, utterly grotesque green creatures. Runs and sores both stared at the creatures in utter shock. Never in their lives had they imagined such horrors. The things looked like people, or at least they had once been people but now they were truly awful, grotesque mirage of a human being. That's when the true horror really hit them. They noticed that the group seemed to be eating something while sat around the large fire pit. It was only when one of them lifted up what appeared to be a leg to its large mouth that Run's blood ran as cold as ice. It was the traders they had killed. They were eating the traders. That's when the scene really began to sink through the layer of shock that had formed in Run's mind. There was blood everywhere. Torn clothing, discarded pieces of armour and weapons were littering the ground among the debris. That's when they also noticed the cages. Stacked against the back wall behind the fire and the makeshift table full of green creatures were what appeared to be iron-barred cages. They looked like they'd been made from bent-together metal bars that had been twisted tightly together to form a cage for holding something. By the look of the creatures that were eating, it didn't take a genius to figure out what they were holding. 
This is the last Hume. We needs to get more. One of the creatures growled deeply as he threw down what appeared to be an arm bone that clattered across the street towards Runs and Saw's position. Yes, but not many Humees come around here any more. Well, except for them ones with spiky hair. But them's tastes funny. Always gives me bad belly. Makes me see things when me eats them, another said. Runs turned to Saws and nudged her arm, making her jump and make a squeak noise, which he quickly countered by clamping his hand over her mouth. What was that? One of the creatures growled, looking around. Ah, probably mole rats again. Things always running about in the shadows, another said with a dismissive wave of his large green hand. We have to go, now, Runs hissed in his sister's ear, and she nodded. The pair of them began to back slowly away from the grim scene, never taking their eyes off it. But no sooner had Runs gone more than three steps backwards, he bumped into something, something warm. Before he even had a chance to turn around, he heard a snarl, and with a fluid movement he shoved his sister clear and dove to the opposite side, just as a very large pair of jaws snapped at the air where he'd been only a moment prior. He hit the floor hard, but let his momentum carry him into a roll, which he barely had time to finish before the creature lunged at him again. This time he actually got a look at it, and what he saw filled his heart with horror. The creature was like some kind of giant hairless dog, but just like the creatures outside, it had giant bulging muscles rippling over its entire body. Huge strands of thick, vicious saliva hung from its grotesque, tooth-filled jaws as it glared at runs with murder in its filled green eyes. Runs was used to dealing with vicious predators in the form of the bears, the mountains and the wolves and the occasional giant rad scorpion or spider that wandered into the valley as well. But this thing, this thing was on a whole other level. Before he'd even realised it, his instincts had kicked in. His bow was in his hands and an arrow was knocked. He drew the string back and fired, sinking the stone-headed broad-tipped arrow right into its thick shoulder, sending a spurt of greenish blood from the wound. The creature simply snarled and bit right through the shaft of the arrow, snapping it off before launching itself at him again, making him roll out of the way. As it crashed head-first into one of the displays, he turned and fired into its back as fast as he could. Sticking that many arrows into the large dog's back, it began to look like an oversized porcupine with feathered quills but it was the last shot that had the magic touch. The creature reared its head in a howl of either pain or anger. He wasn't sure which, but as it did, it loosed off his last shot, and the arrow sunk itself right into the top of its skull, sending the creature slumping forwards down into a heap. Runs was about to turn to check on his sister when something huge and green slammed into his face like a sledgehammer made of flesh and the whole world spun and started to go black and grey. The last thing he heard was his sister screaming for him to help her, but no matter how hard he tried, his muscles refused to move, and the blackness won. When he awoke, he was inside one of the large metal cages, and his sister was inside the next one over. Oh, thank the spirits. You're awake, brother. We have to get out of here. 
she exclaimed, and his mind began to reattach itself to his body. He looked around himself and suddenly realised what had happened to them. He jumped to his feet, making a dash towards the door. But as he hit it, he realised it was locked up tight with a bent steel bar that he had absolutely no chance of bending back straight. He wrenched and strained at it, trying his harder to get it to budge even a little bit, but it was utterly futile. That's when four of the creatures came up to the cage containing his sister and just stood there smiling at her while licking their lips. Hey, you green fucks! Leave her alone! Runs yelled in the language of the white men, and the four of them turned to him, their grins widening as they did. Don't worry, little red Humey. You will get your turn, but she looks tastier than you, one of them said nastily, before they opened the cage and wrenched his sister, terrified sister out. No, put me down, let me go, she yelled as she kicked and fought and bit for her life. Runs tried his hardest to grab his sister, to pull her from their grasp, with the hope that she could run for her life from this place. But he just simply couldn't reach. So Runs was forced to watch as they carried his beloved twin to the table in the centre of the room and held her down on the large bloodstained table. No, don't! Please! Please don't take my sister from me! Please! Runs yelled, begging for his twin's life. But it was for naught. The last thing he saw before one of the creatures lifted a large, wicked-looking cleaver-like blade was her terrified face mouthing, Save me! to him, but he simply couldn't hear the words as his brain was shutting down, and that's when the blade fell. Runs fell to his knees, and he felt his world crashing down around him as he watched his beloved twin screaming in agonising pain as they took her limbs off one by one by one. He could not hear either her screaming or the sickening wet crunches of the blade falling, but he couldn't tear his eyes away from his dying sister. He just kept saying, I'm sorry, over and over and over again. But it was the last thing that destroyed his heart completely. Somehow she was able to fight through what must have been the most awful pain to mouth, I'll always love you. Goodbye, my beloved one before her eyes went glassy and far away. And just like that, his twin, the person who had been his shadow his entire life, who had taken every single step alongside him, was gone. Runs had tears streaming down his face the entire time he was speaking, and both Gregory and Seven stopped massaging their claws in order to give him their full attention. But neither of their claws minded, because they were engrossed in Run's story as well. Once he was finished, the young man simply broke down and began sobbing into his hands, holding his head as tears leaked between his fingers. She's gone. My beloved twin is gone. I'll never see her again, he sobbed pitifully. Seven looked up, noticing Riss was fidgeting incredibly nervously next to him. It was obvious she wanted to try and comfort him, but was worried how he would react. So he decided to act himself. He stood up and walked over, crouching down in front of him, placing a hand on Run's shoulder, causing the young native man to look up at him through red puffy eyes. We're so sorry we didn't reach you in time, Run's with Night Stalkers. 
If only we got there sooner, we might have been able to help. You have my and our utmost sympathy and condolences on your loss. If it means anything to you, some of our group here know the pain of loss very well. And I'm sure they'll only be too happy to offer and help any way they can. In fact, we'll all help you any way we can. And I also think we can also work some way out for us to help your tribe as well, Seven said softly. Run sniffed heavily and looked at him curiously through his puffy eyes. How? he asked. Simple. We find ourselves in need of a guide through Zion, as we're on the runs for some very nasty people. So put simply, you agree to help us, and we'll help your tribe. And trust me, you aren't going to find more firepower than we can put down. You'll have a cloud girl battle droid, two proud and noble claws, an invisible human engineer who can make all sorts of things big and small, not to mention male hands, uh, handsome male claws dreams come true. Me, a geeky guy in power armour that can take an act to beat in, but has more than a few tricks up my sleeves, like being able to make sexy claw girls purr like giant kittens, among other things. And lastly, but no mind's least, Riss, the biggest, sexiest night stalker girl you'll ever meet. And trust me, she's dynamite at this kind of thing, Seven said, trying to cheer her runs up a little. My beloved human tells the truth, and you have our utmost sympathies. Both myself and my beloved brother know what it is to lose one's pack. It is a scar that never fully heals. But it is one that can make you a stronger person. It can show you who you really are, Visa said gruffly, but also softly. But it was clear that no amount of words were going to make the pain of losing someone so dear to him away. But he did seem at least interested in what Seven was saying. You... You'd help us? But why? You don't know us? Or owe us anything? He said, and Seven just smiled warmly. To show off for him and to prove his point, Seven held out his hand behind him, and to Run's widening eyes, a large bottle of water levitated off the desk and poured a cup of it, before floating over to the utterly amazed Run's, and plopping itself down in his hands. It's what we do. Any enemy of the Enclave is our friend. So we'll help you with your white legs problem, and you help us with our getting through Zion problem and not being dead problem. Deal? He said, and Runs took an amazed sip of his water before nodding. Deal? He said, and Seven smiled and nodded. Good. Now get yourself some rest, and I'll tell you what... I'll even assign Riss here as your personal bodyguard. From this moment on, she'll be responsible for your protection. She will not leave your side, and she'll look after you. Okay? And Seven said, reaching out and taking the very surprised Riss's hand and placing it in Run's hand, making him look up at the surprised Night Stalker girl. Um, okay, if that's okay with her. She, She's a spirit guardian, though. Run said, sounding nervous. I am not a spirit, but yes, it's fine, Riss said, smiling warmly at the confused-looking human. Good, then that's settled. Riss will take care of you, and don't be afraid to lean on her. 
Once we figure out a way of this place, you can take us to your village and we'll speak to your village elders, Seven said, and Runs nodded gratefully. I need to go and see the shaman. I, I need to know my sister is happy where she is. I need to know that she's passed peacefully to the spirit realm, he said in a very quiet voice, and Seven nodded as he stood up and patted him on the shoulder. He then turned and took his seat back in front of Isa, lifting her huge feet into his lap. Don't worry, Runs. We'll take good care of you. Stick with us for a bit and you'll see this strange little group welcomes everyone. And I'm sure your sister's looking down on you right now, proud of the right, making the right choice to help your people, he said, beginning to rub the large pair of clawed feet in his lap, making Visa go cross-eyed with the pleasure and relief as it hit her. Runs glanced between them, and then glanced between Gregory and Ven, who was now laid on his front as Gregory was trying his best to replicate Seven's movements on Visa's feet on Ven's, and the result was his big claw boy had just gone as cross-eyed as his sister, and was digging his large claws into a little soft chair leather. Right on cue, both Visa and her brother began to purr like a pair of oversized scaly kittens, as their humans diligently pampered them. Wisp rolled over to him and he glanced up in surprise, like he was embarrassed at getting caught watching them. Ah, don't worry about those four. They're always like that. They're in love, and not the least bit shy about it. They never spare a thought for a single duns who would grind her teeth in dust in envy. Well, if we had any teeth anyway, she said jokingly, shooting a glance at the four of them. Visa lifted her head and grinned at her. Jealous, are we, robo-girl? she said, and Wisp turned her head on a swivel to face her. You bet your bloody tail I am, she said, making the big claw smile proudly and laugh. Ah, uh, uh, you, you truly husband and wife? Runs asked in amazement, looking between Seven and Visa. And she snapped her attention to him, about to shoot him a scathing reply, till she saw pure curiosity in his eyes and her expression softened a bit. Before she could open her mouth to reply, Seven got there first. Yep, or the claw equivalent anyway. If I had a priest, a dress and a ring big enough to fit one on her, I'd drag her sexy tail down the aisle in a second. But seeing as we don't have any of those things, I'll take the claw equivalent and proudly and happily call her my life mate to anyone who asks. I'm not ashamed of being with her. Anyway, because other than Gregory, how many other humans can save the one the heart of a creature this beautiful? He said without looking up from her feet, although he did admit he found it oddly how he knew exactly how a wedding ring was supposed to work, but uh, didn't know his own name. Visa looked at the top of Seven's head with such pride and love in her eyes, she actually looked like she might cry. Does it not bother you that you are not of the same kind? He asked curiously, and this time the four of them answered in perfect unison. Not at all, they all said together. Runs just looked so lost and utterly confused. He looked like his entire world was coming apart at the seams. And Seven was beginning to wonder if he was beginning to believe he was still locked in that cage, stuck in a strange dream. Look, my friend, I know this is going to seem like you've all stepped into a dreamland here. Strange people, talking creatures, which you probably never imagined could be smart enough to talk, let alone speak better English than you do. 
only to find out they're paired off with humans. Then you see a creature that looks like a living embodiment of your spirit animal who's offering you support and guide you on the top of that. You've lost your beloved twin. So this is going to feel like your whole world's collapsing in and on itself. But you'll be okay, my friend. You just need to take it one small step at a time and we'll get yourself where you need to be. And I promise you, we'll help you get there any way we can. Seven said and runs looked up at him. Th- thank you. You're nothing like I imagined a white man to be. You are very honourable, kind, he said, and Seven smiled. Thank you, Runs, he said softly. Runs turned to Riss and looked at her hand, which was still holding his tightly. I'm sorry for putting myself on to you. I wish not to be a burden on you, he said. You are not a burden, Runs. You are hurting badly. I am happy to assist you. This group are good people. Seven there forgave me after I kidnapped him because I thought he was going to hurt me and maybe the others because he is human. But I swiftly realised that he is a good male. He loves Visa very much and he forgave me and brought me with them. Now I pay forwards the forgiveness they gave to me, she said happily. This seemed to cheer him up and reassure him somewhat. He sat back in the chair looking at the group. So how do we get out of here, he asked, and Seven glanced at him from Visa's lap. Well, that's probably not going to happen tonight. Not with all the ghouls outside. We're going to have to hold up here until they thin out a bit. So we'll take a look around and see if we can find a big enough room for us all to get some security and some sleep, Seven said, and Wisp waved a hand. He turned to look at her. I'll go take a roll around the place and see if I can find the place. I'll also make sure this place is locked down tight and secure, she said, and before he could respond, she headed out of the room on those wheels of hers. It took her about an hour, and when she came back, she found that both Seven and Gregory had been pulled into the laps of their very grateful and happy claws, who seemed to be trying to cuddle them to death, while Runs watched them, and Riss watched him, as he was in the middle of telling her all about his beloved sister. Looks like we're good, guys. The place is surprisingly shut down tight. Fuck knows how this place survived the bomb in the way it did, but it's as tight as a night stalker's arsehole, Wisp said, and for a moment Riss looked like she was about to explode in argument, before realising halfway through her thought that Wisp had technically paid her a compliment, and it would be rather stupid to argue that her arse was loose. So while Riss looked confused and tried to figure out an argument to come up with, Riss, Wisp turned around to Seven. Found a place that we can hold up for. Has more room for enough of us all to crash. It's on the top level. Plus it's got some pretty big windows that should give us a decent view outside so we can see if the ghouls are thinning out or if the enclave or anything else shows up, she said. Alright then, let's go, Seven said, patting Visa's huge thighs and jumping up, making the big claw girl look a bit disappointed. But when she noticed that Runs got up, Riss grabbed his hand, making the surprised human look up at her as she led him towards the door. So she followed suit. Seven had climbed into his armour 
with Ven going one step further, scooping the surprised-looking Gregory up in his own arms, carrying him bridal-style towards the door. Wisp found herself suddenly leading a very odd procession of human-loving non-humans up the spiral stair ramp towards the top floor, where they found the governor's office sat open and waiting. Wisp had been right. The room was far larger and far more comfortable-looking. As soon as they were inside, the door was closed and braced to prevent it being forced open. The room was spacious enough with heavy wooden flooring that was covered in large circular rugs that seemed to be patterned in what looked like the American flag colours. To one side there was a huge heavy wooden desk with a large comfy looking leather chair behind it and on the other side was a collection of armchairs, sofas and coffee tables. The walls were decorated with a collection of hunting trophies. The heads of deers, bears, wolves all stared back at them in silent judgment and Seven noticed both Riss and Visa staring at them intently. Visa lifted a head of a bear down off the wall and stared into its glass eyes intently. I have seen human settlements where they have the heads of my kind mounted on walls like this and even using our horns for things like handles she said in a quiet, solemn, but also angry voice. I too have seen humans do such things, even with our own kind, Riss said, staring at a wolf's head intently. White legs do such things. They are animals. No, worse than animals. At least animals do not keep trophies of the innocent they kill. Animals only kill to live. Run said angrily as he looked at the trophies. Seven exited his power armour, having used it to further the barricade of the door, and moved over to Visa, gently embracing her from behind. The only one who will ever touch those beautiful horns, and the even more beautiful head they're attached to, is going to be me, he said softly, and Visa's tail swished back and forth, banging between his legs on the inside. He very gently kissed her back, then moving around her, taking her bear's head from her hands and placing it on the desk next to her, before gently reaching up and stroking her horns. She lowered her head and gently pressed her forehead to his. As my hands are the only one that will touch you, she purred softly. Personally, I think putting up hunting trophies like this is the realm of those who need to overcompensate for something. Like, look, ladies... Look how big an alpha I am. Look how di big my dick must be. I killed a big, dangerous, unarmed creature with a high-powered weapon from a distance, not giving it a chance to fight back. Aren't I fucking awesome? By that fucking logic, both Gregory and Seven must be huge in that department. They both bagged themselves living, breathing, sentient apex predators who would kill for them and die to protect them. I know which one I'd prefer, Wisp said, taking down a wolf's head and looking at it scornfully. Trust me when I say my human has absolutely nothing to be ashamed of in that area. He makes me smile just thinking about him like that, Visa said, grinning at the seven, who felt his whole face light up like it was on fire. Ditto, Ven said, grinning at the equally embarrassed Gregory. That's when seven decided to turn the tables a little. Well, who the hell would want to have a claw head mounted on a plaque? If a claw is dead, you can't make them scream in ecstasy, now can you? 
Seven said, grinning at Visa, whose tail began to swish so badly she nearly knocked a coat stand over with it. He also saw her scales darken somewhat as she blushed. Ven laughed out loud and then grinned at Gregory. I knew there was a reason I liked him, and I knew he was a good fit for my crazy tail sister. He always speaks the truth in the bluntest way possible, and very few can make her blush like that while still making her tail swish at the same time, he said with a grin. You forgot to make her scream like that, whispered, making Ven laugh again while Visa glared at both of them, while hugging Seven so tightly against her that his head was jammed between her chest swells so he couldn't join in the piss-taking. That jealousy I hear again, robo-girl, Visa shot and whispered laughed as she rolled across the room. Fucking right it is, she said, which caught Visa off guard, and she stuttered, making Ven laugh again. Oh, we so utterly lucked out with these humans, sister, he said, and Visa sighed, and then looked down at Seven, who'd gone rather quiet as his head was still stuffed between her two scaly breasts. I agree, brother, I agree, she said, hugging him tightly. The group decided to sit down on the heavy couches and make some food. So while both Gregory and Ven were cooking, while laughing together with Wisp, Riss was sat next to Runs and was trying to guess best to get him to talk to her. Seven was stood looking out of the heavy-duty bulletproof glass windows over the city below them. The crowd of gruels below them was utterly incredible. It looked like a zombie apocalypse out there. But on the plus side... Not only could they not get inside, but neither could anyone else trying to hunt them. Fortunately, the window only covered half the room, where the main desk was, so the part of the team was sat, using the cooker that Gregory had knocked up using a couple of steel bins and using Ven's incredible strength and claws to build, so none of the dun light from the very small fire being used to cook was leaking out. Visa slid up behind him and wrapped her long arms around him. You look thoughtful, my love. What's wrong? she asked softly. Seven glanced up at her and then over at Runs who actually seemed to be smiling now. See that either Ven's sense of humour or something Riss had done had actually cracked through that outer shell somewhat. Sorry, my love. I was just feeling sorry for young Runs over there. Can't imagine what that poor guy went through watching his beloved twin die like that before his eyes. That's a pain I never ever want to imagine. And it also made me think about you and Ven. How the pair of you must have felt losing your pack the way you did. It actually made me think that in a way me and Wisp are actually kind of lucky. No family that we know of to lose. A weird blessing in disguise, he said softly. Visa hugged him tightly and nuzzled him, kissing the back of his neck as she did. You truly are a kind male, you know that? She said softly. Seven just smiled and kissed Visa's hands. That must be why I can feel so compelled to help him in any way I can, he said, and Visa chuckled softly. Yes, my soft-hearted beautiful male, that's exactly why, she said before she turned and gently led him back to the rest of the group to eat. So that was chapter 21. Well, looks like Runs is starting to fit in quite well with the group. So how are they going to get out of that building? Will the uh, ghouls break in? Will the Enclave reach them? Or will the super mutants get there first? Only one way to find out. You're going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, 
I'll see you next time.